Welcome to the Think Kingdom podcast. I am Marcus Loney, the creative arts director here at Think Kingdom. We want to welcome you to week three of Filters, Seeing Through a Kingdom Lens. So let's go ahead and jump in and see what God's word has for us with our lead pastor, Antoine Lassiter. This is Pastor Antoine. I'm excited about uh, week number three, Filters, Seeing Through a Kingdom Lens. So uh, before I get started, imagine driving a car um, and having a general idea of where you want to go. You really don't know where you want to go, but you have a general idea as to where you want to go, if that makes sense. You're driving. And so you're not sure how much gas you have. I mean, it's okay to keep driving, um, but you recognize that instincts alone won't get you to where you think you should go. What's worse, uh, you, you stop and you pick up passengers um, and those passengers are depending on you to get there, wherever there is. So you keep driving and you have so many different signs that you're passing. You're on a highway. Maybe it's a country road, maybe it's a city, maybe you're on the interstate, but you're driving. And again, there are signs everywhere. And then occasionally you run into detours or construction sites, you have to slow down, speed up. Maybe it's a stoplight, maybe it's a yield sign. And so you're still not sure where you're going, but you know you gotta keep moving. And so sometimes uh, the weight of it, because your passengers are asking you, are you there yet? Where is there? And so you turn up the radio, you keep your passengers busy, and you turn the radio up louder. And for a while, it offers the much needed distraction but you're still keeping your eyes on the road and you still are unsure where you're going. Am I going the right way? Should I turn around? Should I keep driving? Should I pull over? Should I drive faster? And so these are questions and I'm not talking about a car. I'm not talking about driving on the highway per se. I'm talking about life and the questions and all these things that Um, come to our minds. And I believe this series of messages and sermons that we will be unpacking over the next few weeks can help you and I. Because if the Lord doesn't guide us, even when we get to the place we think we should be, we recognize that that destination isn't enough. Because let's just be honest. Let me just be real. We have the tendency to want to be the star in the movie we direct. And the challenge for us is that we believe not that you're not those who are watching, obviously, but some believe that our way potentially is better or safer or what God has set before us in terms of our lives, it limits us. It takes too much time to get there. Or it's simply not ah, working. So there's a growing notion that the Bible is antiquated and the people who follow the Bible are out of touch. And what he said back then 
doesn't necessarily apply now. The irony is there's a growing chorus of believers who are exiting this Christian journey, pulling over, deciding to turn around while the passengers, their children watch in anticipation. Where are we going, Dad? Where are we going, Mom? And we keep driving on this highway, uh, not following the signs. And what's interesting, not only is the growing course of believers that are singing from the sheet of music, some are building their lives around what's popular, what feels right. And sometimes what they can get away with. We filter how we see with our hearts, ears, and eyes, but how we see here in our hearts are shaped by education. It's how we talk, what we experience, our reality, and our environment. So the Holy Spirit confronts us if we allow him to but we don't want God to give us direction at times because the journey that we're on, we could be experiencing some level of success. And so our hearts become stubborn and our eyes become blind. See, the heart, according to Jeremiah 17 and nine, is so, is the, the heart is more deceitful. This is crazy. This is crazy. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? See, what we're experiencing in the culture, I'm talking to the church now, is that our hearts can make us prophesy in his name things he never said. Yeah, I'm going there. Our hearts convince us that the Bible isn't enough. And so we'll rather read anything but the Bible. Our hearts will convince us that only a certain, certain populace or a certain preacher or a certain person has the ear of God and that person is the mouthpiece. And so we were engaged in things that help us escape. So like that car analogy, we just want to turn on the radio. And so when something goes wrong, instead of turning the radio down to listen and trying to figure out what it is, we turn the radio up because we don't try. We don't want to hear it. It's amazing what's popular and what gets the likes and the shares and the follows because our hearts can make us rationalize and justify our sin even when we know the truth so when we are unpacking the beatitudes man i struggle with this message because i don't want you to follow your heart I don't want you to follow what you feel. I want you to follow Jesus. 
So in order to see through a kingdom lens, we do not need Christ to be on the passenger side. We need Christ to be the driver and we need to rest on the passenger side knowing he knows what's best for me. And it's almost like when when I was a kid and we used to take family trips, I'd be sitting in the back and next thing I know, dad's driving or mom's driving and I'm asleep. I'm trusting the driver. And so in the midst of all this chaos, a new opportunity, we witness a historical event with the first African-American uh, woman vice president. Wow, we celebrate. Doesn't matter what the political views are. Can we turn down the radio for a moment and just see and enjoy the moment that we are witnessing? But beyond that, in order to see through a kingdom lens, we need to understand that we're just passengers. We're just riding by. Because you know why? Because uh, we are followers of Christ. Remember, I'm simplifying what a disciple is, but we follow and learn from Jesus because Jesus is all about bringing the life of the kingdom of God into our lives now and making us a citizen of his kingdom. So again, we are disciples. We follow and learn from Jesus. And the word of God helps us to learn more about Jesus, we learn and we put into practice what we learn. And a godly community helps us to provoke one another. Catch this, provoke one another to practice what we learn. Hebrews 10 and 24, we provoke one another to love and good works. I believe that this journey that we're on through the through the Beatitudes is prophetic. I believe it's timely. I, I believe that God has orchestrated it. That's what I believe in in my bones that we have to unpack and learn from Jesus from this sermon on the mount. And we have to give ear to hear what he's saying void of the noise around us. This is the beauty of God's word. That's why we gather, even if it's virtual. I can't, I can't wait until February 7th when we gather again as a church family in person. But we gather around and, and the word is the center and we unpack and we learn from Jesus. We understand now the importance of holding on to the voice of God in the midst of the noise. No longer can we just simply lie, lie and try to block out the noise. We have to have an ear to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying to his church in this hour. So we start off 
with Matthew chapter five, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We acknowledge and I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but we acknowledge that broken people produce more broken people and more brokenness. We see it all around us daily. I have this righteous indignation that we do not understand fully our own brokenness. So the scripture says, Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are, we, you and I are directly and indirectly responsible for the brokenness we see around us. But being poor in spirit means we are acutely aware of our present condition. Then my brother, Pastor Ramon, led us through verse number four. Blessed are those who mourn. Why are they mourning? Because our sins are now exposed. Our sins are suffocating us. Our sins are exhausting. We're a bunch of can't get rights. It's never enough. Our sins overwhelms us. We mourn over our sins and we mourn over evil. We mourn over the sins that's, that we create and we mourn over the, the sins that are created against us and we mourn over the sins we see. But we don't mourn like the world. We mourn with hope. We have hope. Because we are citizens of God's kingdom. I feel you, Jesus. We mourn with hope because Christ is our high priest sitting on the right hand of the father, interceding on our behalf, according to Hebrews 4 and 14. You see how the word inspires? You see how the word motivates? You see how the word transforms? forms we mourn with hope because Christ is the hope of glory Colossians 1 and 27 so we talked about the poor in spirit we talked about those who mourn and this leads us to some um, this leads us to uh, verse number five blessed are the humble man some translations say weak. I mean, I'm sorry, meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. See, the first three Beatitudes deal with our needs. We are a needy people. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. See, we're poor in spirit because we don't have what it takes to live as God commands. So we're driving aimlessly, not knowing where we are going. And even if we're driven by the world standard, the Holy Spirit poured us over and reminded us we ain't going nowhere. Bad English. We're not going anywhere. So we mourn because when we were poured over, we saw our sins. And them sins just showed you how ugly we were and we wrestle with it. And we know that I can't get right the more I put my hands to it. And so I mourn my present condition, but I'm going to be comforted. You're going to be comforted because Christ sends his Holy Spirit to comfort us. So even when the sins of my own doing are suffocating, ah, it reminds me that I'm being comforted. 
here's the beauty, people. Here's the beauty. When I'm poor in spirit and when I'm mourning, it should always lead to humility, meekness. And so blessed are the humble for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, as I was unpacking this message, I, I often heard the word uh, to describe meekness is controlled strength as Christ was meek. Uh, it's power under control. And, and in different translations, humility and meekness are used interchangeably. Uh, the words gentle is used. The word soft is used. Wait a minute. You mean the king of glory in all his righteousness is meek? Soft? Gentle? But not the world's definition of soft and gentle in a world full of power plays and everybody making boss moves. You can see why meekness is interpreted as weakness. Someone hurt you, you get them back and you make them suffer more. That's the way of the world. We often say it's a dog eat dog world. We prefer the bully politician so that the person can get things done. And all these things play out. But I submit to you, can we make humility great again? Because aggression isn't the method of the kingdom. Humility is. So there's this whole thing that I'm wrestling with, it's counterintuitive to the culture. The scripture says, blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek. It doesn't say blessed are the aggressors. It doesn't say blessed are the agitators. It doesn't say blessed are the violent. It says blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. I feel you, Jesus. This entire verse disrupts the whole notion and the display and it puts out there truly how to inherit the earth. And I submit to you to do so is Jesus way versus the way of the world. And Jesus is literally informing us from the beginning that the kiss kingdom is not of this world. And we cannot do worldly things to obtain his kingdom or to advance it. His kingdom must be acquired and advanced his way. We must follow his instructions. We must copy and imitate him. And we as Christians, if we as Christians want to inherit the earth, then we must do it the way Jesus instructed us. We don't advance his kingdom through any other means, but by the way he instructs. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Whoa, 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 Pastor Antoine. 
What about Matthew chapter 11, verse number 12? And I quote Pastor Antoine, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. What about that? So let me just break that down. This speaks to the violence against the kingdom, not violence coming from the kingdom. Matthew chapter 11, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent taken by force. It speaks to the violence against the kingdom, not violence coming from the kingdom. You got to understand that the king of kings and the Lord of Lord is born into the world and the violence goes after every male child between birth and two years old because the king has come. You see the violence against the king, the violence against the kingdom. John the Baptist is beheaded because of the sick wishes of the queen. Matthew chapter 14. Peter is beaten for preaching Jesus. You know what his response was? We must obey God rather than men. Acts chapter five, verse 27. This is beyond some of the inconveniences that we have. We are not suffering, not yet. I give you that. But are we really suffering because of his name's sake? The violence against followers and how they respond and what Jesus demonstrates is the paradoxical nature of the kingdom. He says things like this. The first will be last in the last first. It's paradoxical. That's counter. That's found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30. He says it's better to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It's better to lose your life than to gain it. Mark chapter 8, verses 36. The greatest on earth is not the greater than the least in the kingdom. Weakness escorts us into the presence of God, not our strength. Second Corinthians uh, 12 and 9. Jesus is taken forcefully to stand trial. Uh, Jesus is obviously innocent. Peter responds. I mean, think about it. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. So Peter responds violently against his would be attacker. And Jesus looks at him. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. It's the violence against the kingdom, not perpetrated by the kingdom. Blessed are the humble. They shall inherit the earth. Even the disciples Jesus' homeboys missed it. What do you mean they missed it? They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They saw him before, during, and after the resurrection. And you know what they asked him in Acts chapter 1, verse 6? Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they were thinking about themselves. So you got to understand, in order to appreciate in order for you to appreciate, for us to appreciate the context of what, when, when the scripture was written, Rome was occupying Jerusalem. They ruled with the iron fist. On one hand, they created a waterway system and, and in the creation of this waterway system, uh, this is one of the most uh, um, 
one of the, the, the greatest times that uh, fresh water was, was given out and it was a system, the aqueducts and all those things was given out and people uh, had fresh water. But it's also uh, a time where there was a big disparity between the haves and the have not. And the people of God was living under a tight fist, uh, the Roman rule. And they were waiting for stuff to pop off. Some of them, when they were talking about the Messiah and the coming king, they couldn't wait for him to show up. Let's go. Because when you show up conquering king, we know what's about to happen. You're going to restore Jerusalem back to its proper place and run off all these non-believing Romans out of the city, out of our country. And Jesus didn't do any of that. There, there were zealots during this time. And the zealots began to, to have this idea by any means necessary, we about, to, we about to turn up. But then you see Jesus' response in John chapter 18, verse 36. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, but my kingdom is in the hearts of men. And so, that's humility when you can when you can uh, you can sick legions of angels to destroy and you don't. That's meekness, it's humility. But here's the thing. You can't talk about humility without mentioning pride, because sometimes the definition of a thing is best described by what it's not. And pride is this season that we're living in. It blows my mind. In the middle of pride is the letter I. And if you listen to someone uh, close enough, it's all about them and so is pride. And we're seeing it display. And I'm a believer and I see it displayed. I feel that the Lord said, but if the Lord said was not in the book, it ain't the Lord saying it. But pride allows you to say what God said and he never say it. He never said it. And then when it doesn't come to pass, you got crickets. I put this up recently. The most powerful words, three words I've heard in this last season of my life. I was wrong. I made decisions. And the thing that I came and I talked to some members of the team, my bad. <laughs> I was wrong. Y'all saw it. I didn't. I was wrong. Powerful words. But pride won't let you say that. Because pride is based on insecurity and insecurity is based on fear of what could happen or quite frankly, what did happen. And fear always leads to taking control. And so we have this uh, we have this affair with pride and pride always kicks out humility. Let me give you some examples of pride. Pride gives you a false sense of entitlement. Pride is a monster because pride doesn't take responsibility for nothing. Pride takes the credit, but never the blame. Pride never apologizes. And if you get close to one, it's just full of excuses. I'm gonna tell you another most subtle way 
to know if you if you're dealing with pride. Prideful people don't pray. <clears throat> I'm going to let that I'm going to let that stay there. Why should you? <laughs> Prideful people don't pray. Prideful people drive on a highway, not using GPS. Back in my day, I used to see my dad with a map that's so complicated to fold. You had to have like a, a doctoral degree in engineering to fold it properly. But you have people driving on a highway that's lost and never ask for directions. That's what prideful people do. Pride causes the world to be a mirror instead of a window because the prideful believes that they are the center of it. So prideful people are always looking in the mirror and never through a window because prideful pride is inward focus and outward retraction. In other words, it's all about you. That's why scripture says that he resists the proud. Gee, God is resistant to the proud. He opposes the proud. You can't help a prideful person. A prideful person will be drowning and never ask for help. Pride. Pride leads to destruction. Pride is the absence of God. Pride. If Christ himself displayed humility, grace and truth, and meekness, we are to be followers of how he responded because pride fertilizes unhealthy comparisons and leads to competition and it starves compassion. It's all about you. But let me share with you what humility, three things that humility does. First thing humility does, it keeps us rooted and grounded in the will of God. Romans 11 and 8 says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. The reason why uh, I believe that you see the progression of the Beatitudes from poor in spirit. I recognize my own brokenness. Mourn. I'm just disturbed. <laughs> I'm in grief over my sins. And that keeps me humble. You see the progression. See, we must be intentional until it becomes intuitive. And, and what I believe that Jesus is giving us uh, uh, characteristics or uh, this is not based on morality it's based on the posture of the heart. And so what Jesus is literally breaking down for us. is the posture of your heart that if we remain humble then we will continue to be rooted and grounded in the word of God and in the will of God. We must stay humble. The second thing that humility does, it helps us recognize where we stand in relation to God. Humility pleases God. How do you know? First Kings uh, 21, King Ahab. King Ahab was given a death sentence, but when he humbled himself, his life was extended. 
Humility helps us recognize where we stand in relation to God, because some of the components of humility is a poor in spirit. My own brokenness. The, one of the components of humility is mourning over my sins and the evil that I see. Humility. Psalms 25 and 9 says he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Humility helps us recognize where we stand in relation to God. Where are the humble Christians? Where are we? See, that's not even humility. Where are we? <laughs> but my point is that uh, that community helps foster humility. Please hear me. Community helps nurtures. Mm. Community helps nurture community. The third point, humility prepares us to receive and share the true riches of the kingdom. Proverbs 22 and four, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. These are the true riches of the kingdom. What Jesus is unpacking for us. If you want the secrets and the keys to the kingdom, it does not come through worldly actions. It does not come through who or what. It comes through the person of Jesus Christ. So if I want to know and learn about the kingdom, I follow him and learn from Jesus. Because the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord, you and I have to have a reverence for God because that is a component of humility. And so when you can say God said and he ain't say it, how do you know he ain't said it? Because it's not contained in his word. He has given us parameters and, 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 and margins and it's contained in his word. Listen, if I say something that's contrary to the word of God, divorce yourself in relationship with me and trust the word of God. There is a lack of biblical um, literacy and it's causing people to stray from God. Can we just return to the book? The Bible is true and the Bible amens itself. Okay, what type of dream people having? It's spooky and weird. And it's okay if it does not contradict the word of God. Because the tension of pride is having an exaggerated view of your own importance. But then I'm not going to talk about today's another time, another time for another message. But there's also false humility. That's also a byproduct of pride. And that's devaluate devaluating yourself that you don't matter hmm. because if you don't matter and God died for you, then his death doesn't matter. You can't. His death for you makes you matter. So if you matter to God, you matter to us. 
C.S. Lewis says, true humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. So if the kingdom had a dress code, we will be clothed in humility and the, the ratchet will be kicked out, but that's not the message. <laughs> the scripture says in Psalms 10 and four, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now, I want you to pay attention because I made reference to it before. I said the, the proud, the prideful, don't pray. And you're saying, well, you know, I, and, and it's my, all his thoughts are there is no God. We may not have those thoughts in a cognitive way, there's no God, but our behavior suggests if we're not laying that thing, whatever that thing is, at the feet of Christ, then that thing is suffocating us and will eventually kill us. And so my prayer, as I bring this to a close, is real simple, that humility is a right view of God, a right view of myself, and a right view of others. And so I lead you with that. And I want to say never ever prioritize what you do for God over your relationship with God. Because that is why he's here. That is why he came to be with us. So Jesus unpacks the power of humility because humility creates an opportunity for those who operate in humility to inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, you know I thank you for this. I pray that you will get the glory from this message, that those who uh, know you will continue to operate in the spirit of humility, that we will prefer others above ourselves, that we will exist and live in community, and that when pockets of pride begin to pop up, that we cast it down. As you have said to us through your word, humble yourselves. So Father, I pray even for this nation as uh, the president and uh, vice president can uh, take office. I pray that we continue to pray for them as we pray for prior administrations, that we ask that they have a heart to seek you. And God, I just thank you for every opportunity to stand before your people. I pray that this message will echo throughout our hearts. And God, I just thank you for your peace that surpasses all understanding and the joy and the happiness that you bring to us. Father, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, Pastor Antoine, concluding our week's message and filters. Meekness is not weakness, for there is strength and humility. 
If you or someone you know is blessed by anything you hear on this podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word give to 704-741-3705. We want to say welcome, welcome, and welcome to our new friends turned family to Think Kingdom. And if you haven't, go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram for all exclusive content under Think Kingdom. And as always, you can go back Hear this message, this series, and so much more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.